showing that women ascend in the workplace is a profitable proposition for all of us. Tapping into their intuition, their smarts, and intelligence is a winning commodity at the end of the day. However, according to a study published by the National Bureau of Economic Research, it found 80% of women struggle with their self-esteem and shy away from self-advocacy at work. Which is why having a conversation about career advancement and making sure that women have the self-awareness and confidence necessary to advance at work is a critical step in making progress for all of us. Andrea Johnson is a transformational leadership coach with a passion for empowering others to take control of their lives and change their projected futures. As an adoptive parent who grew up intentionally navigating mental and physical wellness, she learned the concept of emotional resilience must be earned along the way she uncovered her own sense of developing her own voice which allowed her to advocate for what was important to her and she uses those tools to help her clients do the same andrea empowers female leaders to feel unstifled and get them satisfied with growing their potential level of impact by improving their communication and culture within women-owned businesses or corporate operating teams. She does this by following her own individual passion of helping female leaders feel equipped to define a new culture by trusting their own abilities to think critically, think imaginatively, and lead effectively. And Johnson, join me this week to tell me more. I'm Kevin McShane. Let's have this conversation. person so I'm excited to start our conversation this morning. Thank you. It's mutual. Absolutely. So Andrea, if you're ready, I'll take a moment to welcome you to the program. And I'm super excited to talk to you this morning all about leadership. Great to see you this morning and thanks for a few minutes. Oh you're welcome. Thanks for the privilege of being here. Absolutely now Andrea, I know you spent your days as, as an internal optimist, so do I, and uh, I know you work as a transformational leadership coach, and you 
believe that we all have the inner capabilities to be uh, the best we can be and maximize our own potential. But sometimes we just need a little help in getting to that realization. So I'm wondering if you can tell me what makes you so fabulous and why you're so passionate about the work that you do. Well, you know, each and every one of us not only has the potential, but we all have circumstances in our lives that we unfortunately allow to hold us back from what we're capable of. And when we operate from other people's standards, like I was telling um, a, a gentleman yesterday, when we're young, we kind of, that's our purest form of our personality. Like when you see little toddlers or, you know, preschoolers, it's like, that's a really pure form of their personality. It's like, don't tell me what to do or very kind and tenderhearted. But then we go through school and we are nurtured in our homes and we learn things from society around us and the culture, and then we get a job after maybe we went to school. And so we take on all these other standards and ideals that feed someone else's agenda and that don't really feed ours. And when we do that, we have no way of making the impact that we as created specifically unique individuals could make. So um, what I do with people, because I'm very passionate about this, I hit 50 and realized I was on a path I didn't want to be on. And so I said, I don't want you to have to wait that long. I don't want my clients to have to wait that long. So I work with people to help them figure out who they are now and start making those changes now to make an impact later. Yeah, absolutely. And you Talk about working with people and make an impact now. And I know uh, that you're a mom and, and raising kids uh, today isn't the same as it was when I, I was growing up. So I'm 34 now, and I have to tell you, bringing bring a kid into the world today, I applaud anybody that wants to do it, right? So tell yeah, me. Yeah, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> yeah, tell me how raising kids today as a mom has fundamentally shift, shifted because it, it's drastically different than uh, just 10 years ago. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I'm, I love understanding personality types, right? So I'm kind of joking around that in our house, we like the Enneagram and I'm a disc person. Um, but it was very clear yesterday, the three types that were in our house. We have one adopted son. He starts high school today. And um, my husband is an Enneagram nine who's very peacemaker. I'm the six who's like planning all the stuff and figuring all the things out. And my son is the seven. Let's just have fun. But what we saw was I went to high school 40 years ago. <laughs> and so I'm like, it doesn't list on here what his homeroom is. Who's his homeroom teacher? And they have three lunches. How do we know which lunch he has? But the other piece is he's got his phone. And there is a phone policy that we never had. Um, there's just this, this whole dynamic of being able to have, he has friends like we're in Virginia. He has friends in Mississippi and friends in um, the New England area that he keeps in touch with. And I'm like, perhaps you can make more friends today at school in person. You know, all of that is very different. Um, but essentially, though, they're still kids. Essentially, it's still about the relationships. It's still about being willing to allow each person to be themselves. And as long as we do that, they're going to be all right. Yeah, absolutely. And you just hope when you send them off to uh, school, you raise them right and uh, that uh, the, the lessons that you instilled in them 
uh, come to the forefront of their brains, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. You better believe it. <laughs> uh, well, uh, as uh, a mom with a kid starting high school, I uh, wish you good luck and I'm crossing my fingers for you, okay? Thank you very much. We yes. will take all of that that we can get. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell me, how do you think self-improvement and self-empowerment are interconnected? Well, empowerment basically means you've been given the knowledge and the skills to do what you want to do or to accomplish the things you want to accomplish. And so I'm, you know, I was raised with public broadcasting, the more you know, right? And so what I basically tell people is the more you know, the more you can do, right? So I give people the tools and the skills to empower them to actually, you know, if you want to talk about high level empowerment, to be able to advocate for themselves, um, especially like women in the workplace or to, for my son, you know, because he was bullied a little bit in in middle school. But um, even if it's like, if you don't have the leadership skills to be a supervisor, if you don't have the leadership or the relational skills and and understanding how to have emotional intelligence, if you don't know any of that stuff and you're a brand new supervisor, my goal is to help you grow yourself so you can then do for others and with others. Yeah, and, and, and building on that point, I'm, I'm curious to ask you about effective strategies that you uh, use with the people you work with and those you interact with to sort of make sure that they can have the tools to take mm. uh, ownership of their own life. Because, you know, I believe you uh, wholeheartedly that uh, in life we all have to set our own level of expectations on here because if we don't it's hard to reach uh, an artificial level for somebody else so talk to me about uh, setting uh, effective strategies to take ownership of our own life um the the most effective strategy is to know yourself and one of the things i work with absolutely every single one of my clients on i have a digital course for it i have my talks that i give most places are centered around it and that's understanding your core values these are the things that make you essentially you. These are the intangible things that have kind of tangible results. For instance, um, if if freedom is a value for you, like somebody like me, uh, I don't want to be told what to think. I don't want to be told where to go or you know to be bossed around. But also authenticity is. So I also don't want to live by someone else's standards. But when you understand your own core values and who you are at your most pure. Then you also can understand your, the other tool I would say is understand your communication style. Um, I'm a DISC consultant and that's behavioral analysis and communication and leadership, but there are all kinds of personality tests out there. It's like if you need to, Myers-Briggs tells you how you take information in, but when you can look at your core values, understand how you communicate or need information and then you have to practice some radical acceptance of yourself. Um, I love people don't want to know sometimes their core values and they don't want to go on a personal growth journey because they're a little afraid of what they might find because all their lives they've been told there's something wrong with them. And I always tell them that there's, you're not going to find anything in you that you don't like. What you're going to find is validation for all the things you've been upset about all your life. And once you do that and you accept yourself, then, and I think you and I would agree on this one, I think, um, that just to be terminally curious, always learning. So understand yourself, your communication style, accept you, and be curious. Those are my big strategies. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Andre, there's a sign in my office that says, 
Life is a constant game of learning. So I agree with you there, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And Andre, Andre, doing your research on me, I'm sure you found out that I um, have cerebral palsy and I've worked with business organizations to help them sort of uh, amplify their more, uh, uh, infusing a more inclusive work culture. So tell me, what does it mean to you to amplify inclusion and leadership at work? Um, so, you know, I come from large university settings and then I come from church settings and in church, we're supposed to be welcoming and inclusive. Um, and in large organizations, they have specific strategies that they've set out. Um, but I think the thing that most of us need to understand is the difference between equality and equity. And equality means we are all given the same, for instance, my son started school yesterday we had to buy all his school supplies for the first time in quite a few years. <laughs> Last year, they still had some pandemic leftover resources. And we walked in and everyone was supplied with the exact same binder, ruler, pencil case, pencils, colored pencils, paper. We were They were all given the exact same resources. Some kids could take those resources and excel. Some kids needed something else because of their own circumstances, because of their own learning style, because of maybe a, a neurological difference that they may have. Um, maybe they're not neurotypical. Um, maybe they have a situation at home or maybe um, maybe they have a physical um something that makes them need something else physically they they maybe they can't use paper or maybe they have to do all on the computer. Understanding the differences in circumstances is what really helps us, be more inclusive and say it the circumstances don't define the person the circumstances define how we actually help that person excel and i think those are the things that we need to understand better in the way we do our business um but i am not a that's not my specialty right it's like people like you and other people who do uh, amazing inclusive dei work um that i i just am a, a i'm still quite a learner in that area because you know that's just, it's just something that is, I think, really important, but um, I'm ha always happy to listen in that area. Yeah, you know, life is like a sponge. We just try to soak up all the knowledge we can, right? Yes. Yeah, and Andre, I'm fascinated to ask you about the concept of emotional resilience. I know that you were exposed to that, being an adoptive parent, and you, you believe that emotional resilience has to be earned. So I'm wondering if you can dive into that for me this morning. Well, I'm going to start with an example of um, a tree, a sapling. When you grow a tree or when they plant little saplings in a nursery and then they go out to plant them, they don't they don't just grow a tree in like a little, um, they don't put them in a greenhouse and just give them sun and water. They actually found that they have to have a fan blowing on them. They have to have wind. They have to have movement because what they discovered is they won't develop the roots that they need in order to withstand the real elements when they plant them out in the wild if they don't develop them early on. And in the same way, if we don't experience and walk through some things that, I mean, we're all going to experience something hard. Even the most privileged person in the world is going to experience something that's difficult for them at whatever level it is. And if we're not willing to walk through those hard things, if we're not willing to actually say, I can learn through this and I am going to figure out the the ways that I can can thrive no matter what and see the things that I go through as 
man, they can be really hard and I don't have to like them, but I'm going to learn from them. That's where resilience comes from. Resilience is the ability to back bounce back. And even in learning um, a new way of, of behaving or learning something that's not okay, a behavior is an example of, of something that's not okay, is being able to tell my son, look, buddy, when you... Um, when you talk back this way or when you do something like that, it's it's not that you never say I'm sorry. It's that you're saying I'm sorry or you're apologizing or recognizing it closer and closer and closer together each time. And so he's gotten to where he'll even say, it took me less time that time, mom, right? That's earning resilience for yourself. That's teaching yourself to move in a way that is helpful and will give you um, the the kind of strides you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Audrey, I know that you work with ambitious female leaders and you help them become community and elite leaders. So what do you think it means to be sort of uh, dominant in a, in a corporate world as a, a female executive? And what do you think it means to take ownership in of leadership uh, spaces of female executives? Um, I'm going to push back on the word dominant. Um, I think that's a cultural word that we don't necessarily need. Um, if somebody wants to talk about, I'm going to dominate in this particular area, that's great. That means they're going to excel and they're going to be the one person to go through for all of, or go to for all of those things. But I think um, that it's really important to understand that we each have strengths and leadership styles. And if we, as a culture in either the greater culture or in a specific organization, have one leadership style that we celebrate and one leadership style that we say, this is the only way to excel, that's when we have a problem. And my work is basically encouraging, especially women, um, that's just my calling to work with women to say, you don't have to look like the MBA, six foot tall, blonde, blue eyed male to actually excel to or use your word to dominate. You actually can be yourself. You can lead in your strengths. And then when I work with organizations, I teach them about the different strengths of each type of individual. And I help them put those individuals into the roles where they can actually excel in their strengths. Because when we work in our strengths, then we feel valued. That's when we know that we're making a difference in the organization. So that's my goal is to help people recognize their strengths and lead from there rather than trying to fit a mold. Yeah, absolutely. So building on that, Andrea, I'm also wondering your th thoughts on what it means to create an elite organizational culture where everyone's mm -hmm. sort of excited to come to work every day. Um, that is our goal for all of us, isn't it? I mean, those of us who work, with, <laughs> I mean, when, when you find someone, I had a conversation yesterday with somebody who's talking to me about being a consultant and I'm like, she's saying all the right things. Let's see if her organization is willing to step behind that because that is part of it is being willing to say, we value not just the skills that a person has, but we value them as a person. And when you start valuing the people, because People, quite frankly, they don't stay for the money and they don't leave for the money. It's very few people that do that. They they stay for the culture and they leave for the culture or their manager or, you know, whatever that, you know, however you want to define it. It's never the, the, it's rarely the real tangible things that cause people to be there. It's the intangibles. It's the, the 
the knowing and honoring of each individual and and seeing that if I'm not in the right position, if I'm not in the right job, they're not just going to kick me out. They're going to say, wait a minute, maybe somebody else is in the wrong job and we could switch you because your strengths are better over here and their strengths are better over there. And being willing to look at those intangibles, admit when in humility that we've maybe made a wrong choice, that's how you create an elite culture. Indeed. And Andrea, do you think leadership can be a learned trait, or do you think it has to be something that's ingrained into you? Oh, I I wouldn't be a trainer if I didn't think you could learn leadership. I'll tell you what's ingrained into you, though. What's ingrained into you is a cultural understanding of what a leader is supposed to look like. And that's what I work against. Yeah, absolutely, because everyone's perception of that that word, word is different, isn't it? It is. And, you know, like I said, we don't, women especially don't need to look like a man in order to be a good leader. And now if, if they have to happen to have the same traits that culturally we, um, the leadership traits of being more assertive or louder or um, more using the word dominant, um, if they happen to have those as strengths, then just live them, right? It's like, we don't need to, fighting against cultural norms is hard, but I think the more we do it, the better we'll get at it. That's basically that resilience thing again. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm fascinated to learn about your podcast, The Internal Optimist. So tell me all about the show and what, 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 what it's about. Bound. Easy for me to say. Tell me about the podcast. <laughs> well, my podcast for the last three years has been the intentional, it has been intentional optimists, unconventional leaders. And it's all about the stories of women who don't fit that regular leader mold, um, who then embody leadership in their own specific way. It's like these courageous women who've said, whether it's in corporate or if it's going out on their own or switching careers midway through like I did, it's just getting their stories and finding out um, exactly what makes them tick, what are the things that got them to where they were, what were the pivot points and the courage that they had to express and and tap into in order to be able to become the leader they were today. But the other thing I learned from talking to almost about 75 different female leaders was that almost all of them when I asked them the question, what is your earliest leadership memory? They would go way, way, way back to like elementary school or earlier. And they would basically give me a, a an example of how their own innate leadership showed up. So there is some innate leadership, but what happens is a lot of us, we get on that track and we go off the road because we're doing what society tells us we're supposed to do. And it's not practical. For me, it was not practical. So I did an, a nursing degree. You know, it's like I didn't quite get through it because I realized I can't stick somebody else with a needle. But many of these women, for the first time, are living out the same leadership principles that they had when they were very young. And when I look at them and I say, do you realize that you just what you do today is what you just told me you excelled at? And that's your very first leadership memory. And probably 80% of them stare back at the camera and go, oh, Nobody's ever said that before. I've never seen that before. So through three years of this fascinating research and kind of talking out my own philosophy and developing my own message, I gained a whole lot of experience. And as of August 28th, my podcast is shifting to more of a solo podcast, but it's basically taking all that information and standing in it and saying, I'm owning all of this. 
Um, so if you're interested in my new podcast, it's going to be a little bit different, but it's going to be much more directed at women specifically to to go and and stand in the the strengths that they have and the encouraging message of um, individualism and yet being able to do that collectively inside communities and how we live out our core values and how those really um, make a difference in everything we have. Just being authentic. Yeah, absolutely. And Audra is an old uh, communications major and journalist myself. I'm fascinated to ask you my next question. And it's all about communication and really elevating our communication skills as leaders because it's a true art form, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it allows us to define, as you say, as your passion is, to define what what really makes us really unique and, and uh, special in terms of uh, our leadership styles and our individual uh, core values as well. So tell me uh, all about your views on effective communication as well. Well, thank you. I mentioned earlier that I am a certified DISC consultant, and DISC is an acronym that stands for Driver, um, Influencer, Steady, and Creative or Compliant. And these are four basic categories of the way we communicate. So it's a, a combination of how we're wired and the nurture and the environment that we have and that we're raised in and the environment that we're currently in in our job. So I take that into organizations and I help people understand how to communicate to their team members, to their boss, to, you know, I've had, I've done a DISC assessment with a woman who walked, she said, I walked into my next big meeting and thought, I have these agenda items that I've never said before. And she said, all of a sudden, I was able to participate in the meeting where I never was before because she understood herself. But here's part of it too. It's not just helping people understand themselves, working from their core values, and, and women and men, when I work in organizations, I work with both, but um, being able to equip female leaders to define a new culture by doing three things, thinking critically, creating imaginatively, and leading effectively. And part of that goes back to, why do I believe what I believe? And this is who I am in my core values. And then be able to think outside the box, right? There's no reason to not create imaginatively. It's amazing to me how many people, when we walk through their DISC assessment, and I'm a Maxwell um, leadership team coach, but one of the tools that we have in the middle of this report is what they call um, the power disc. And it's seven leadership styles or skills. And each person has something different. And I just met with a woman about two weeks ago. And she said, I can't believe that creative is one of my top ones. I don't find myself to be creative. I'm like, well, let's just talk about how you just described to me how you saw, and she's a new supervisor, how you saw this process that wasn't working. And you stepped back and analyzed the whole thing from start to finish. And you came up with a whole new solution. That's creativity. So helping people see that there is, um, they, they have the ability to lead in their own style helps with communication because then they don't feel the need to shout in someone else's, you know, language or, um, or say something over somebody else or even to shut down. So I think the more we empower each individual, the better we're going to have, uh, the better communication we're going to have overall in an organization. Yeah, and just uh, because I'm interested in your personal opinion on this subject, I'm curious because one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast is I looked at the world and I told myself, 
So there has to be more that binds us together rather than tearing us apart. So tell me, when you look at the world today, what's the one societal issue, the, the one societal issue that you think that we need to take more time in nurturing and understanding and sort of build uh, bridges of unity, as I call it, and really, if we disagree, that's fine. But I'm, I'm curious to ask you, how do we get back to a better sense of compromise as a society? Um, gosh, how many? How many? How long do we have? Right. Uh, <laughs> I think, and it may be part of the same coin, but I'd like to say it's this lack of humility and a need to be either right or wrong. Um, so when we come up against a situation where I might say, I no longer, I no longer support this viewpoint or I'm not for that viewpoint, everyone around assumes that I'm then for the opposite viewpoint. And it's this lack of humility that there could be anything on that spectrum in the middle. And if I've come to the conclusion, this is my own personal opinion, we're all wrong almost all of the time. And as long as we come to almost every conversation, every situation, every circumstance with the idea that I don't have the answers and I'm looking for the answers, I think that sets the tone to be able to have those conversations. And, you know, historically women, I mean, we're talking greater society right now. It is in the United States here. It's just very divided over so many issues. But historically women, especially in the workplace, have tried to kind of step on each other. Like there's only room for one woman in the boardroom or there's only one room for one female manager. And so what we've done is we've torn each other down. But I think there's a real movement to stop that and to understand that it doesn't have to be yes or no. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both and. And I think that's no matter what societal situation or um, be it race relations or politics or violence, any of those things that we look at, if we approach it with that mindset, it it opens up a whole different conversation. Did I skirt that issue for me? <laughs> no, no, that, that's why I asked for your authentic and personal opinion. And thank you for giving it to me. You know, I'm, I'm tapping back into your um, uh, mantra as sort of the uh, the optim optimist at heart. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on the concept of infinite possibilities because I believe that, that we're all capable of sort of creating our own pipeline of prosperity. For example, I'll give you an example. So mm -hmm. I was... I was born with what's called uh, spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy. And I actually found out at the age of nine that I wouldn't be able to walk without assistance for the, the duration of my life because of mm. the severity of my disability. And, you know, I really believe, I didn't know it at the time, but when I was nine years old, I think I had a turning point in my life because... I had just completed my final surgery for my disability, and the doctor had called my parents into a hospital conference room before I was discharged from the hospital. And the doctor had gone through 
the successes and what they were hoping to, to accomplish through this, uh, the surgery. But then at the end of the conversation, he told my parents that I wouldn't be able to walk for the duration of my life without a walker. And I had to start my fourth grade, uh, for a fourth year of elementary school uh, the next day. So I, once I traveled back from the hospital, I was called uh, down to the principal's office. And Dr. Carol Crowley was my middle school principal at the time. Uh, and I had gone through the, the story of what the doctor had told me the previous day. And Dr. Crowley has had every, everyone assigned to my file in her office, from teachers to social workers uh, to my parents were there, and my teachers were, teachers were also there. But she had a big empty uh, circle in the middle of her office from my wheelchair, and I went through the story of what the doctor had said. And then Dr. Krulis looked at me and she said, the only limitations on your life are the artificial ones that you place on yourself. So mm. since that point in my life, I've really uh, viewed the, the concept of infinite possibilities differently. So I'm, I'm curious to get your concept on the, the whole notion of infinite possibilities. Gosh, thank you for that story. You almost got tears there. <laughs> um, I love it when people are encouraging, especially to children. Oh my gosh, right? It's like we've all been told things in our lives. Um, you know, I sat in a doctor's office at the age of 39 and told that I um, was in early menopause and would not be able to have children. Um, and it, while it was devastating, everything that I had learned up until that point in my life told me that adoption was 100%. And I, I said, I literally, by the time I got to the car, you know, my husband was kind of reeling, you know, it's like, we all have ideals of what life is going to be like. You had an idea, your parents had an idea. Um, and I looked at him and I said, you know, we may have a 13% chance of a live birth if we go through in vitro fertilization, which is not a benign process. I said, but a hundred, but adoption is a hundred percent and there's babies out there everywhere all over the world. And, um, and so that's what we pursued. But I think being able to see that the amount of, and this is the way I present it, is that when we don't think we have options, we have no possibilities, right? We have, if we think we are in a corner, if we think we don't have any options, then we cannot see possibilities. And when we take down the walls around us, and I talk about stepping outside of the box, the box of our assumptions, our beliefs, and our conditioning, the ABCs, when we step out of that box, it's all of a sudden you get to see how big the world really is. Now, do I think that each and every person has complete and infinite possibilities? Well, no. And I'm sure you probably don't think that completely to its end as well. But I do think that in the way we view it, it, it can become infinite in possibility. As long as we're willing to step outside of those things, and that's my critical thinking piece, step outside the assumptions, the beliefs, and the conditioning that we have and just say, hmm, what if, right? What if? What's next? Yeah, absolutely. And to that point, uh, you know, I always work with organizations to embrace what I call the strength and diversity of perspective, because no matter how many degrees you have on the wall of your office or, or how many years of schooling you went through, I always believe that you can learn something from anybody because 
we all come from a different walks of life and experiences. Mm. So tell me, I'm fascinated to ask you your perception of embracing what I call diversity of perspective and how it can be a competitive advantage for organizations mm. and for people as well. Oh, I, I loved having a diversity of perspectives. If you, so um, imagine a, here's, here's the way I explain it. Um, I was privileged enough to travel overseas when I was a kid. My parents were missionaries, so we didn't travel with a lot of money, but we traveled and we always figured out how to do things on $5 a day. And one of my favorite memories is from standing on top of the Eiffel Tower, being on top of the Eiffel Tower. You can see all of Paris pr pretty much from there. I mean, like in general and but here's the thing. It's got four main sides. So when you're looking one direction, you see the um, the Arc de Triomphe. When you're looking another direction, you're seeing this, the special gardens. When you're looking another direction, you're seeing this other side of Paris. Here's the thing. They're all always there. But you can only see one side because you can only look one way. So what's important for us to realize is that we could put people all the way around the top layer or the top observation deck of the Eiffel Tower, and they're all going to see something just a little bit different. If we don't want to see the whole picture, then we don't care if we have diverse perspectives. But if we want the whole picture in order for our organization to succeed and for our culture to be to excel, and if we want to be able to have our people functioning in ways that give them value and bring value to our organization, then we're going to want all of those different perspectives. So if somebody doesn't want the different perspectives, that tells me a lot about who they are, but when they do, it tells me even more because when we can see it from all the different angles, we get all the way around and can see everything that we need to see. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Audrey, I'm going to combine my last two questions because they're interconnected and I'm fascinated to ask you, what's the best part about living life? And when you look at your own personal and professional legacy, how do you want that to be defined? Uh, you're right. And my answers for those are combined. <laughs> They're very similar. Um, I'm sure it won't surprise you for me to say that what I love about living life is developing the connections and the relationships and the experiences that I have. I have a, a sign on my wall that says collect moments, not things. And um, for me, it's all about connecting with individuals. And when I mentor, when I coach, when I sponsor someone, who did I help along the way? When my son hits the end of my official training period and he graduates from high school or college or whatever he decides to do and he's out on his own, my legacy is defined by the people that I have touched. And so for me, that's what I want to be able to say at the end of the day, how did I what did I do today? Um, I put out a word of the day that I want to embody. And that's and so as part of my journaling, it's like at the end of the day, how do I want that to show up? How do I how do I want to live that today to say I touch these people in this way? Um, and so for me, that's what it would be. Who did I mentor and sponsor and teach? And how are they able to live differently because of what I did in their lives? Yeah, absolutely. And finally. Tell me if people want to get connected with the great work that you do, what's the most effective way they can do that? The easiest way is my website, which is theintentionaloptimist.com. If you put in intentional optimist, you'll probably find it. I am on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube, and I have my podcast. And anytime you put in intentional optimist together, it's like 
optimism with the intent of making things happen, you're going to find me. Well, fabulous. You know, Andrea, I could talk to you all morning, but I'll stop our initial conversation there. And thank you for your energy and enthusiasm to make our world a more optimistic place. Your work in the space of personal development and leadership is most appreciated. And I want to thank you for engaging in conversation with me this morning. It's most appreciated. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much.